Since the beginning of time, people have always found creative ways of communicating. This is my way. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson, and we need to talk. to another episode of Not For Nothing in the series I'm calling Life in the Bunker. This is actually going to be my last episode of Life in the Bunker, and I couldn't think of a better way to end this series than to take a little vacation and venture across the pond. I'm talking today with my friend from Nottingham, England, Jake Myers. Hey, Hello. Jake. Hi. How's it going? Pretty well, thank you. Yeah, nice to speak to you on early on a Sunday morning. And well, it's late on a Saturday night for me, <laughs> and there's no better way I'd rather spend a Saturday night than with you talking about life. So, oh, charmer. How's everything you. going? How's your Sunday morning? Yeah, pretty uneventful so far. I've had two cups of tea, one cup of coffee, so um, my brain is hopefully somewhat to life. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to speak with you. I'm having a cup of peppermint tea in honor of you, my oh, English friend. So much healthier than I am. <laughs> well, rest assured, when I wake up in the morning, I'll have at least three or four cups of coffee to get me going. Mm. So I'm sure there's some health risks there. But anyway, we have been, well, I've been doing this um, series called Life in the Bunker because as we've said in the last four episodes, in the last two episodes of Birthday in the Bunker, we're just, we're all in this country, in the world, just doing the same thing, hunkering down in our homes, trying to see if we can outlast this pandemic and hopefully eradicate it. And I've been sort of popping into all my friends' houses and everything to just see how they're spending their quarantines and how they're spending their time with this new normal that we have. And you and I have been talking about our sort of daily routines and I was amazed at just how similar they are. So how's, how's quarantine going for you? Well, I think, um, I think you learn a lot about yourself in these situations. And the thing I've learned is that I don't have a routine and I probably <laughs> will. It's just not something I respond to well. I know for some people, they're really sort of um, feeling, they've created routines for themselves and it's really created um, a sense of, of regularity and kept them sane. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not for me. I still don't have an alarm that gets me up. I just wake up when I wake up. I go to bed whenever I'm tired. I eat when I want to eat. I drink when I want to drink. Um, <laughs> and I try to just, you know, keep myself entertained. Um, not get too bored or despondent and just, yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely fine with that, a routine. Um, the, there are just days when it feels more strange than others. Right. It's a bit of a roller coaster, I find. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has been forced to grapple with just 
their own thoughts and their own because we have so many distractions all over the all you know just throughout the day you got you turn on the morning news you have your tea or your coffee and then you get on the on the transit of however you get to work and you got people all around you bumping into you or you got in traffic here in LA you're driving and swerving in and out of lanes and everything and there's just always you're never still with your own thoughts and and that is something that you and I have definitely started talking about a, a lot is just how to be at peace with what is and how to kind of take control of our own lives and do more. So have you found any ways to um, to be productive or start new projects or do anything like that during the quarantine? I think you have to be extremely flexible with yourself and understanding there are days when you're going to want to start new things and there are days where you just need to accept that the world is a bit still right now and mm-hmm. you can't be still with it so for example on one of those days where i needed to lurch into a project i decided to start learning greek um, on an app called duolingo so that was extremely fun for about five five or six days i think and now i'm not doing that anymore and that has to be okay i think I I think we need to just feed our brains with whatever it's particularly craving or lacking Mm -hmm. in this strange time and not try to overexert ourselves with things. Um, But you're right, I think figuring out how to spend time with our thoughts and how to manage our thoughts in this very sort of constrained, quite pressured situation of staying in all the time is something quite deep, actually. I don't think many people get the opportunity to really think about how they think Mm. so for me being naturally quite over analytical I've I've criticized myself for overthinking things you know very contemplative very deep and something um that I think another thing that we're all well not all of us but anybody who lives with someone has to grapple with is that you live with someone and you have your daily routines where you go to work and you come home and you see them or whatever, Mm -hmm. you now see them all the time. Yeah. 100% of your time you share this space uh, and you live with someone. So how is, how is that going (laughs) for you? Surprisingly fine, actually. Um, I mean, I've known the person I live with with very long time, and um, it's pretty effortless, and things are, are easy going. Um, but I think you have to acknowledge sometimes that you want a bit of time and space for yourself, and that's absolutely fine, and that's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's recognizing that need in yourself so that you're not constantly operating in a in a in a communicative dyad of feedback and endless conversation all the time and then you find out that you actually feel quite irritated and you'd like a bit of silence um so i think it's really important to just um lean into that that silence and stillness that the world is forcing upon us right now um i think i think you're right you're hitting the nail on the head that the the world is forcing us to really grapple with a lot of things that just you know we didn't take the time for and and stillness and silence i hope that lots of other people are finding that because i know i am and i know you are and i know that there's a lot of people in my life 
doing that too. Um, I, I'm, I'm like you, Ethan and I, we were, we were pretty harmonious about living together and being together all the time for about a month and a half, two months. Um, while we were in quarantine and I, I did actually, I have a day job that I don't really talk a whole lot about on the show. Um, but I started back at my day job this week and that was when I really realized I was like, ah, it's kind of nice to not be in the house and to see other humans other than Ethan, even as much as I love seeing him, I'm like, yay, other people. So, yeah. um, what about your friends, uh, in, in England and the UK? Are they are they fi- are you finding that their experiences are similar to yours as well? Have you have you talked a lot about that with your friends? Um, I haven't an awful lot. I mean, the thing is with my my friends is that they're dotted about the country in various mm-hmm. places. So I would ordinarily go about a month without seeing them anyway. Now that we're two months into lockdown, yes, I think I've started to realise that I'm missing them. Um, but they they do have quite different lives. So one, my one friend is uh, an academic, an lecturer, um, and as far as I know, she's still having to teach, but via online learning platforms. Mm-hmm. So she's still very busy. My other friend's a CEO of her own company, and she's extremely busy. Um, so I think, and I'm sort of moderately busy um, working in the civil service. Uh, I think some of our activity has scaled down, but I've, I'm being redeployed to another government department in a few oh, weeks. Really? So I'll be supporting the national effort there, where, which will be an interesting change of scenery. I think. Hmm. And what are they saying? Have they have? Because I know that in America, we're at least in California. Because in America, we're doing we're kind of just leaving it up to state by state, and like mm-hmm. my home state of Alabama is doing things very differently. Like I have a friend who was like getting my hair cut today and in California, that is still not even nearly an option mm-hmm. as you can see, because the listeners don't know this, but we're looking at each other on video and you are, yeah. and the videos that we have been sending to one another, you've been watching my hair just grow and grow like a chia pet. Do you remember those chia pets? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, in California, we're starting what is called phase two. Um, is, is, are you getting any information from, uh, the English government from that about, about what's next or are y'all still just hanging out? I think the prime minister is going to make a statement tonight, actually, um, on what the next phase of phased down lockdown will look like, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So not a lot of information at the moment. I don't think, but there is some kind of contact tracing app that's going to come out whereby um, you'll be notified if you've been in contact with anyone who has had or has had symptoms of coronavirus. Mm. And it looks like there's going to be a very technological based solution coming up. Um, oof, whether to remain hopeful about that or not, mm, right. we'll see because, you know, Technology always has its teething problems. As we've seen when we were trying to start this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's quite a dividing point, actually. I think very sort of high-spirited, entrepreneurial, pro-technology people will be like, yeah, this is the way forward. And then there's mm-hmm. sort of arm-folding cynics who prefer a pen and paper and just prepare to oh, watch, no. watch things unfurl and, and not unfold in the way they should when mm-hmm. technology is introduced. So, and, and I think this is one of those situations where um, 
they always say like i don't know if you uh, do you watch drag race i don't think you do but i dip in and out but i'm not an avid avid well you know rupaul she uh she says or he says however you would like to say it they say um drag does not change who you are it reveals who you are and i'm like this that is such a perfect metaphor for coronavirus because people if you're going to be an asshole to retail workers who are out there on the front lines Mm-hmm. Like if you're gonna be an asshole to retail workers on a normal basis, you're probably gonna be a retail an, an asshole to retail workers while there's a world pandemic and they're just doing the best they can. But um, it's really interesting just how it, it has revealed the cynics and revealed the people who are just stubborn and want to do it. Um, do you know anybody in your life that's caught coronavirus? Um, yes, two of my aunties. Oh, they did. How are they doing? Yeah. So they're okay. Um, I think from what I've heard, both of them felt extremely unwell for a few weeks. Really? You know, bed-bound, fever, really quite um, nauseous. Not not very good, but they did recover. Oh, good. Um, they're both in about late 40s, 50s sort of age. So that's mm-hmm. when you, that, I suppose that's an age where it really divides people symptomatically between people who bounce back quickly and those who could get quite seriously unwell but yeah fortunately both of them are fine great it's good news i found out this week that three people in my life have it um luckily i haven't been around them but i was like wow we went for months and months without knowing anybody personally really that's had it and then um now there's three people that I would normally have seen on a on a pretty regular basis have gotten it. So, but yeah. it's so funny. One person she did not have any symptoms, and then one day she lost her sense of taste, and that was it. She's never had a fever. She's never had a cough. Never had anything else. She just couldn't taste or smell anything, and wow. so she was like, "Well, that's a weird thing to only have that one symptom." And she went and got tested, and she had it. So. She's wow. sitting at home. She's like, hopefully I'll lose weight since I can't taste any of my food. <laughs> so, you know, you got to look for the silver lining. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I think this is a great time to take a little break. And then when we come back, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you're in the United Kingdom because I just can't <laughs> wait to talk to you about all the things that I am fascinated by with your country. <laughs> and if you have any questions about my country, feel free. I'm, Maybe that's a Pandora's box that I don't want to open up to the rest of the world <laughs> at this moment. But we'll be right back. <laughs> All right. We are back. And I'm so excited because for the first time ever, I am speaking with someone internationally. I'm with Jake Myers in the United Kingdom. It's morning for him, late night for me. And since I have you here, I just want to know, what do you really think of the royal family? The whole concept as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a big question. Um, <laughs> in two sentences or less. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, useful for reflecting on what icons, what cultural icons and symbols actually mean for a culture, but mm-hmm. in many senses, also a little bit irrelevant and expensive for the taxpayer. 
For sure. Yeah. I have a friend who's from Wales, and I talked to their parents um, the other day. Well, the last time I was able to be out in public, I talked to them right when Meghan Markle and Prince Harry were kind of stepping back. And I kind of was just like, so what's what do y'all think of that? You know, I was making kind of lighthearted about it. And she is probably in her late 60s, early 70s. And I was like, what do you think about that? And she's like, we're just devastated. And I was like, really? He's not even, like, in line for the throne. (laughs) So (laughs) why do you care? But, again, I don't want to be too cynical. So what do you you think about that? Like, Meghan Markle, what was your take? Because you and I just never even talked about it. We just, it was never a thing on our radar. Because you and I met, I guess, three years ago, four years ago at this point? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, in an online forum. And so... We and we really did just kind of keep communicating over the years till now. You really are one of my dearest friends, and so. Um, oh, thank you, Carl. Same I'm to so you. Glad well. to be talking to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, me too. But how in the world did we go for four years and never talk about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? So give me your thoughts. <laughs> I really don't know. Like so many things uh, at the moment, I think it's 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 a dividing point between people. So and and in this. And on this occasion, between the the royalists and the republicans, and by republicans, in our context, we mean people who are against uh, the monarchical establishment. Mm. I think it's really interesting that people are so devastated because it implies a sense of ownership of the monarchy. They're my royal family. They're my my prince. That it's my queen. I just think I don't really get it. At what point does anybody consider it their right to have an an, an opinion over what um, Harry and Meghan do? I'm happy for them. I'm really happy for them that they've chosen their own way in the world. I mean, after all, Prince Harry was born into uh, a family and situation that he never asked for. Why can't he change it up? For sure. So I don't understand where all this devastation comes from. I really don't. I had read somewhere that they're buying a house in Los Angeles, and I'm just thinking, wow, how about that? Maybe I'm neighbors with Harry. I doubt it because I live in an (laughs) apartment complex, and I'm certain they're going to buy a mansion or something. But when you come to see me, we're going to seek it out because I'm going to be like, I have an Englishman. You have to let (laughs) us in. And then maybe we can have tea with them. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a bit of a hostage situation that might unfold. (laughs) Well, the world will know our name if I do that. We will be famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently I heard that they're living in uh, something like an $18 million mansion owned by Tyler Perry in Hollywood. So that's where they are apparently at the moment, whether that's the sort of interim thing before they go on and buy their own mansion. Mm. I don't know. But um, some really strange things have been said about about Harry and Meghan. Um I mean, one of them is that, well, I don't think the, the British taxpayer should have to foot the bill for their security. And, um, well, they've said from the beginning that they seek to be to, to finance themselves and to work and be independ- financially independent. So I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm not paying for you, even though you didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, people have said, I think they should be stripped of their titles. Well, titles are just an irrelevance really 
Well, did they? They didn't even strip Princess Diana and Sarah, Duchess of York, or what's her name? Is it Duchess of York? They did, uh, like divorce didn't even strip them of their titles. Why would moving to another house strip them of her titles? Well, I think Diana's was. Diana's oh, title was amended slightly. Um, but it's all just, why do people focus on the symbolic and abstract when these mm-hmm. are real human beings who have made an, a really big decision in their lives? Um, I'm all for it. Here, here. <laughs> I have a several friends in different countries around the world, and inevitably, over the last three years, the elephant in the room has become my president. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and give it to me straight, no chaser. Your friends, your family, you, what, what do you think of us <laughs> for that okay. goof? Oh, man. Well, my preface to what I'm about to say is that I hope I don't come across as on one big long rant on this podcast. <laughs> I'm kind of forcing you into it. Well, my mom uses the word buffoon to describe Trump. And I think in some ways it's kind of the perfect word because he is a buffoon. He's um, extremely inarticulate. Um, He seems to operate in the way that a complete narcissist would. He just seems to think truth is a democracy and any old spiel that he comes out with can somehow be moulded into the truth. Um, He's the ultimate salesman, an entrepreneur. He really does think he can spin a narrative and that a certain number of people will buy that narrative. And as long as a certain number of people do, then he's fine and he's got away with it. Mm-hmm. The sheer disrespect for, for actual truth, objectivity and intellect has really been on display in the last few months of his presidency with those awful uh, news conferences he's been oh, yeah. uh, presiding over. I mean, in Britain, we have... Um, usually three people on separate podiums and whilst the the head of state in our case the prime minister will uh, answer certain questions that he's accountable to on with regard to medical matters the management of the national health service the availability of equipment he does defer to experts he does not try to um, give the public meaningless fluff uh, just to just for the sake of his pride and i think uh, i think i should take a lesson from boris's book on that one and um, show a little bit of deference to something that's extremely um sensitive and troubling and on which the public deserve the truth on even if that truth is only partially known it's better oh, for complete lies and bluster. So uh, something that um, Hillary Clinton tweeted the other day, because Trump was giving advice. Like, I don't know if you heard about this, but Trump was telling people that it would be okay to inject yourself with Clorox and it would be okay to ing- ingest Clorox. And people are like, he wasn't serious. He wasn't serious. Nobody's doing that. I have nursing friends, friends who are nurses who have said they've treated multiple cases of people poisoning themselves with bleach because our president told us to. And Hillary Clinton tweeted the other day, I don't know if you remember this, but when the total solar eclipse um, came, was was seeable from uh, parts of America, Donald Trump tried to look at it without his solar eclipse glasses 
And Hillary tweeted, um, don't take medical advice from someone who looks directly into the sun. Fair enough. <laughs> so we're, we're, you know, we're torn over here. We're, we're, t- we're left and right. You know, it's getting so far the divide. There's no one in the center anymore. I actually am sort of in the center mm. and I, I have a lot of friends who are, but yeah, it's getting really divided. Um, do you feel like there's anything going on in England that is as divided as things are in America? I think we have the same uh, tension between more protectionist, sorry, protectionist nationalist interests and more outward-looking, cooperative, mm-hmm. internationally-minded people. And that plays out in all sorts of uh issues whether that be brexit or the way we deal with uh national emergencies such as covid um all that stuff about whether we prioritize our own country or look to cooperate all those kind of narratives are playing out at the moment i think that's the broad shape of it and it's something we we see across the world Uh, britain specifically though um i think a large part of it had centered on Brexit, but we've all now become so distracted by this national emergency. Mm-hmm. That's sort of simmered down a bit. Whether it will resume again in the same way or whether opinions will have shifted slightly will be quite interesting to see. I, I would be interested to see that too because um, I, feel, I feel that in America opinions have shifted because the response to COVID-19 has changed a lot of people's opinions of Donald Trump in America, but also um, it's interesting because we do all feel because it's we all feel a need to to be involved in this election come November, but part of American politics is going to rallies and going to parties and going and getting out and campaigning and canvassing. And we can't do any of that. And it's, and not only just that, um, Joe Biden is now the nominee for the democratic party to try to beat Donald Trump. And it's hard for him to even get people to talk about anything other than COVID-19 and, and not that we shouldn't talk about it, but it's also important to really understand that there's a presidential election coming, whether we like it or not, whether we talk about it or not on come November, we're going to vote for someone. And, you know, I think my opinions are pretty known on what we need to do. (laughs) So if you don't know my opinions, you could assume them very well (laughs) based on the past episodes of the show. Um, So how long will you have Boris Johnson as your prime minister for for all of that, will he be there completely through, for sure, until COVID-19 is over? I've got to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> a couple of years. I think we've had a succession of general elections in the last few years. Because it's, it's not really a fast and hard rule in, in England like it is in America, is it? Like, no. it doesn't come around every four years like it does in America, whether whether you've you know whether the people want it or not that's right yeah and i think there are different pieces of legislation which mean that um elections can be forced Mm. and that affects the time scales for things so i honestly don't know (laughs) 
Yeah, I was surprised when Teresa May, she was just like, well, I can do no more. Goodbye. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> Can we get yeah. a can, can we get a, that script for Donald Trump, please? <laughs> so she just she took her purse and walked out, huh? Yeah, I mean, but not without a fight, and she was put through a lot, I think. Right, the opposition sure. and misbehavior in Parliament, and you know, there's part of me that just thinks that part of that is rooted in misogyny. Well, I was just gonna say. Can you correct me? Because it seemed like there was a man who was like, Brexit's a thing, we're going to do this. And then once the the general public voted on it, he was just like, and here you go, Theresa May, go ahead and figure that out. And then it seemed like everybody was like, well, she's so stupid, she can't figure this out. And it's like, well, she never even asked for it. She, she, didn't, <laughs> she didn't try, she didn't want to try to figure this out. She wanted to put keep the union together, but... That was my perception, and I think that was a lot of perception from the world. Is that pretty accurate? Uh, well, in a nutshell and oversimplified, but sort of accurate at the same time. Yeah, she did She did her best job, I think, with the government she inherited and the mandate that she had, which was to try and implement Brexit. And yes, there was, there was a lot of bureaucracy. There was a lot of squabbling. In all honesty, Brexit is just a signifier for lots of different smaller arguments that nobody has had the time to break down and look at properly. Um, a referendum all based on misinformation and, you know, not very, not a very clear understanding of different aspects of policy. So it's no wonder that during negotiations it went so wrong because all of the clarity and tidying up of what people actually wanted was taking place at the same time as negotiations and trying to actually pass the Brexit bill. So it is a national humiliation, I think. Yeah. It's dramatic to, to say that. I feel that. We have one of our own. Yeah. <laughs> no, and and that, that's kind of a good segue, meaning we have one of our own, because even if Donald Trump is re-elected, um, we we do have a finite end in sight for this national embarrassment, this national sort of just, you know, egg on our face moment that I feel like a lot of people like you in America or in the United Kingdom feel about Brexit as well. It's like, wow, we're just really kind of goofy looking right here. Is there any space where Brexit could not happen? And do you think that, people actually want it like would you wish that it could just not happen and it could just not be a thing and england well the united kingdom could just be part of the european union again fully without any sort of you know like it was before do you think that people would want that and do you think it's ever would be a possibility uh i don't think it would be a possibility now that um now that the bill's been passed into law i think it would be quite i mean there's a way to do anything but on, on a higher level of thinking about it, I don't ever believe in reversion to yeah. what things were. I think you always have to look forward. And a Britain as part of the EU in the future would never look the same as Britain as part of the EU as it was. Britain had a very privileged position as one of the G4 of one of the richest countries and biggest contributors to the EU budget and they had all manner of exceptions and 
you know, even things like using our own currency as opposed to the euro. Uh, but that that was just that's the tip of the iceberg as far as I understand. So if we were to rejoin the EU, we'd have to um, do things a lot differently in a lot more of a uh, we'd be a lot more aligned with, with other EU countries, I think. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yes, there's a part of me that wants to be part of the European Union. Particularly, I think the big thing for me is freedom to live and work in other countries. Mm-hmm. Because being a free spirit myself, I don't like being told that I can't do something or that there are additional rules in place. Because, I don't know, I've grown up um, in the hopeful conditions that if I might say want to just go and live in Greece for three months or to travel Italy for two months or I don't know that's that's always seemed like a right to me mm-hmm. like our rights have shrunk that privilege has been taken away yeah and it, it's a concept that um that we we as Americans didn't really it, it was it's just so foreign to us because America is 50 states. I mean, it's a huge country. And so, like, I remember when I was working in um, Times Square, people would come on vacation where I was working. They were like, well, after we hit New York, we're going to go to Las Vegas or go to Chicago or go to Seattle. And they're like, don't you just love Las Vegas? I'm like, I've never been. And they're like, how have you never been? I'm like, because it's a huge country. I can't visit all the cities. Geographically, um, Europe is the entire continent of Europe is sort of similar to the size of America. So it is a little more, you know, because I have been to the next state over and I have been, you know, picked random places that I could just go for, you know, go freely because it's, it's there. And so in a sense we do get it, but in a sense it, it always just seems so cosmopolitan and so worldly to just be able to pop over to Italy. And I'm like, well, that must be nice (laughs) (laughs) or go to Greece for a few months. That seems, seems so nice. But, um, before we take another break, because I really want to talk about yours and my sort of go-to passion conversation, yeah. I want to ask, I want to tell a little story to you real quick. I, okay. when I was working um, in Times Square, I was a customer service manager and I would, and so a lot of foreign currency would come to, come to me. And I don't know how we would always wind up with it. Cause I was in charge of all the money. So I just kept all the foreign currency that would come. So I've got like a huge stack of foreign currency because I had this whole, and I still have this fantasy that I want to return all of this currency to its rightful home one day, which will be the catalyst for me to travel. And I'm going to be like, okay, here's a coin from Sri Lanka. I guess we're going on vacation to Sri Lanka this year. Um, However, I have found that I, I I forgot all about this, but I have 150 pounds in English money. Would that buy me a lot when I go on vacation to come see you? <laughs> 150 pounds? Yes. Well, yeah, I suppose. Um, <laughs> blimey, I don't know how much an Amazon Alexa costs or a new pair of headphones. It might get you, it'll get you something pretty substantial, I would think. Because I was like, wow, 150 pounds. I know that it's not, I mean, it is somewhat comparable to the dollar. I mean, it's, it's not penny for penny, but... 
Um, about $175, $180. Oh, really? I think so. Well, I've got tons of money. That I mean, I'm probably sitting on like thousands of dollars in foreign currency, <laughs> coin by coin at a time. But yeah, so listen, maybe that's what I'll do when we come see you in England. Dinner's on me because I have 150 pounds. back and something that I would really like to share with the listeners on this episode is you and I we talk a lot about our own self-care like I think you're probably the one friend that I talk the most about like just what I'm going through on a daily basis and like really self-help like really self care ways to take care of the problems in our lives. I mean, we get into some really deep conversations about that and I really appreciate that. So I just really wanted to take a moment to kind of let everybody see what kind of a conversation we have on a daily basis. Um, So for starters, you're a big, big, big proponent for therapy. Yes, I am. That's it. To me, that seems very rare or somewhat rare for maybe United Kingdom or an Englishman or maybe even just Europeans. I, I guess I always had this sense that, especially British people, I had the sense that they're, they have this sort of World War II buck up and move on, carry on with it mentality. So it's really refreshing to know that there is just as many crunchy self-care, want to take care of your mind, body, and spirit people in England as there is in America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't possibly attest to the number of people who are like, who are like that. I think you probably win win out in America for, for, for sure. numbers, certainly on the West Coast anyway. Because um, I know you like that kind of thing in California, don't you? We do. We'll do yoga. We'll meditate. We'll drink some roots of a plant and then go to therapy and cry about it. <laughs> but, you know, actually, I think there's nothing wrong with with introspection and with trying to figure things out and make things better. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I'm a, a big advocate of therapy is because it provides... Um, a sort of a vacuum for a dialogue with yourself and another person who's completely independent, who won't have vested interests or assumptions. Um, so how long would you say you've been in therapy? Um, a year, almost exactly a year now. Have you seen like, like if you were to go back and look at you on day one and now, would you say it's a drastic change or maybe a gradual change kind of stuff? You know, do you, cause I have never been to therapy full talk and I am having some issues with my health care, but as soon as those issues are worked out, I'm going to therapy. So get ready. So I'm looking forward to seeing all that, but would you say that there is, um, there's a change in you from day one to a year later? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things I've learned, and this may sort of disappoint some people, but one of the things I've learned after a year in therapy is that um, mental distress never goes away. 
you just get better at handling it and you get better at separating things that are just hard and have to be faced and things that perhaps you cause and suffering that is perhaps perhaps caused by yourself and your own patterns of thinking or behaviors mm-hmm. but the main change for me i think is just operating at a higher level of consciousness that mm-hmm. sounds very highfalutin and um and wishy-washy what i mean is that you welcome in and incorporate parts of your subconscious or unconscious or your past self and mm-hmm. bring them together so that the person you are the place that you speak from and behave from is an integrated self that that recognizes and nurtures all parts of yourself in your past i don't know whether i'm losing you <laughs> or whether it's you know, I, I think that is a concept that you some people just don't get it and there are people who do just get it and then I think I can speak freely for Ethan that he, like, I get that on a deep level, but I think it's because I personally have mental disorders. I have, um, I've been diagnosed with things that sort of give me limitations that I always have to work around in life. So I do get that. But then I've seen Ethan's pattern trajectory where it took him a lot longer to get it, but then the day he got it, he got it. Like, so it does make sense. And, um, because like you said, the mental distresses never go away. And I say that a lot to people, especially people younger, because I mean, I think, um, especially in the LGBT community, you sort of have this tendency to mentor to the younger, to the next generation a little bit. And, People have asked me, they're like, when does, like, they get into distress, and they're like, when does life get easier? I'm like, life never gets easier. You only get stronger. (laughs) So it's like, it doesn't, this weight you're carrying is not as heavy if you can get yourself stronger to carry it. But if you don't do the work to get yourself stronger, it's just always going to be heavy until the day you're dead. So... I think one of the worst mistakes uh, people can make is to either wait for the right time to do something or Mm -hmm. wait for the motivation to do something because, to my knowledge, neither ever really happens. And if it it does, it's short-lived and isn't the right basis for change anyway. Right. Well, and on last week's episode... um... Well, actually, two weeks ago, the episode, Mandy Shannara, she said she had a great quote, and I, I don't even think she said it on the episode. I think it was during the pre-production meeting. She said, inspiration is not a moment. It's a lifestyle. And mm. so she was just like, you just got to keep going. I will say that from a friend from afar who you and I have a very unique way we talk. It's mostly through text. We do some video chatting, but we don't really, I mean, we don't. We, we don't do in-person stuff because we live thousands and thousands of miles away. But I will say from my perspective over the last year, I've seen your patterns and your habits change for just doing what you want to do. Because mm-hmm. I remember we would have conversations and I would feel bad because you I would, I would get the sense of like, oh, what's the point? at the beginning sometimes with certain things you wanted to take care of. And then now you're just like running circles around other people doing whatever you want to do because you're just, you, you've, you've figured out the secret. So it's exciting. Thank you, Kyle. It means a lot that you, you, you see that and you've been witness to that. 
I'd agree. I've I've made a lot of changes in the last year um, in terms of improving my health and becoming that more integrated person. You know, accepting different parts of myself non-judgmentally. Uh, and actually, sometimes therapy is criticised for being intellectual masturbation, in a sense. You know what? I there I see nothing wrong with any parts of those words. <laughs> well, quite. <laughs> But, um, you know, actually some of the deepest analysis has led to, to me making changes in my life and actually thinking that no longer works for me. So why bottle it? Why, why put mm-hmm. up with it? Why contain it? Yeah, for sure. So thank you. And I think that's one of the great things about our friendship is that we kind of share our internal worlds a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's we have a space without judgment and without fear where we can honestly have something that quite closely resembles a therapeutic relationship actually really i would think so that's so cool well and i know that you possess and this is just sort of my own um my own like findings in life because i kind of see myself because i do navigate my life with conversations i see myself sort of as like a conversational anthropologist type thing. And wow, I, that's cool. <laughs> I just made it up. <laughs> Trademark, put it, put it on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I've noticed there's a quality about certain people that I'm very jealous of, but I also, if I'm going to look at myself in a ice cold lens, I think I'm starting to, um, develop this quality as well, but I see it in you you have this this tendency, like if you're having a bad day, you'll just be you'll just be so matter of fact about it, and it doesn't even like register. Like the energy you're giving off is like, are you having a bad day? Because you're just like, just because you said you had a bad day doesn't you know? Because you really are handle you handle it so well, and you are sort of compartmentalizing. You're like, yeah, I'm kind of down today, but I'm gonna go have a pint and then see what happens. And I'm like. Carry on, soldier. Because <laughs> so, it just doesn't even seem to register. But, but it, I mean, I know that it is real. Like, any kind of things that you are feeling are real. But you just really sort of know that I just need to hold on to this feeling and giving it to others and just kind of letting it destroy everything around me today is not an option. And certain people have that quality very easily. And some people just sort of spill everything out. And like, like if you're having a bad day, your roommates, you're going to just be a jerk to them. And, you know, and you don't do that. You're, you're just kind of like, yeah, my day sucks. How are you doing? <laughs> so. Thank you, Kyle. I, I don't know whether, I, I mean, I'm the first to hold up my hands and say, I do not meditate every day. I'm not a <laughs> mindfulness practitioner or a guru. But I think in all of the self-help and personal development reading I've done, it's it's a skill I've somehow picked up. And I think it's through the vehicle of mindfulness, because that is exactly what it's about. Um, one of the analogies used to describe mindfulness is that you can watch, you can stand on a platform and you can watch trains go by, but you don't have to get on the train. Mm. So, similar to your thoughts. So I suppose what I've got better at is, recognizing my thoughts and and the ones I like less I'm sort of in dialogue with them almost and it's like oh hey hi there again negative Nancy um you know not uh, I'm not going out with you for lunch today 
so it, it's a bit like that. Um, yeah, I actually do name my thoughts sometimes. So when I know I need to buck myself up, I'm like, right, I'm going to be a positive Patricia today. Uh, <laughs> there are female names as well, like it's a sort of pseudo drag um, alter ego. So we've got positive Patricia, Patricia, bitchy Brenda, uh, negative Nancy. And I just try to take my my feelings and emotions with a bit of lightness sometimes and hold them lightly and, and almost um, to the point where some thoughts I'm like, fuck off. I don't yeah. want you today. Um, that's not to say that there aren't times where our feelings do take us down and we just have to somehow um, allow ourselves to feel them and process them as best we can. I think that's something I really, I don't know if I want to, because I do, I'm annoying to some people because I demand, if you're going to be around me on a semi-regular basis, I demand you at least try to be positive when you're around me kind of thing, because because neg- I do take on, I'm like a sponge, I'll take on that negativity, and if I get, if it gets too deep, if it, I, I guess with the analogy of a sponge, if it gets too deep close to the core, it could take me down for six months. Like I've been there in those spaces where I've been depressed for six straight months of just like hate my job, wish I had better friends, wish I'd, you know, just everything, just everything was nasty. And so I've gotten myself to a place where I'm not that way. And I'm, but I am such a militant person of like, oh, I see it. I recognize it. I've done the work. You've got to leave right now because you cannot be near me because I know what that'll do to me if I'm near you. And I think I've become sort of militant of like, be positive, be positive. And people are like, can you calm down? Sometimes <laughs> negative feelings are okay. And sometimes sad feelings are okay. And that is true. And I do logically believe that. I just don't know where, I don't know where the healthy line is for me yet. You know what I mean? I'm like, I got to stay positive. I got to do it because it'll make me, it'll take me down for months if I don't stay positive. So that's something I'm interested in looking forward to working out. Like what is my relationship to negative feelings? And like, do you, do I have the ability or should we lean into the negative negative feelings and use them for productivity? Do you do you find you might have a, an opinion on that? I do actually, and it's it's something that I'm sort of discussing in depth in my own therapy sessions at the moment. So, I think the first thing to say is that the 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 pull of negative thoughts is ex, is much stronger than positive ones. Mm-hmm. It's shown at the neurological level that we and, and evolutionary psychology that we are predisposed to to think negatively and cautiously about things. That's just a fact of our brains and our neuroscience. So I think the key is to recognise the overwhelming potential of negativity, but choose not to be overwhelmed by it. Something I, I say to you a lot, I, th- I think, is when it, because you do, you'll you'll kind of work out the the choices of your life, and I and I'll always say, remember, live your life by your hopes, not your fears. Yeah, and, and that has really I, stuck I, with I, me. Helps, <laughs> not just cheesy. <laughs> no, it's definitely stuck with me that advice, because what option, what what choice do we have really? If you break it down into that juxtaposition. Living by our fears can only shrink our lives with mm-hmm. certainty. Living 
in hope can only expand our lives possibly. and i wonder if it is mostly neurological like you said because i mean that is i believe everything you've said about that is true that we are more neurologically prone to do that but i wonder if the reason we do always live our you know we really like instinctually i think the human race at this point is like no we better not do that that's a risky money move or oh what if i find myself without the ability to do such and such or whatever like has that come from just pure neurology or has that come from from conditioning i wonder i mean i don't know if it's just, i mean that that's kind of i hope it's neuro, neurological a little bit because i'm like wow what a sucky world if every <laughs> single person here has been conditioned to just be a negative nancy well i'm probably going to throw the cat amongst the pigeons and say it's a mixture of biology environmental factors i just need to and write down, I'm going to throw the cat amongst the pigeons because I'm going to be using that for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. Sorry. I Go won't ahead. demand attributions or credits or, or royalties. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I think it's a mixture of things, but let's not underestimate the uncertain times in which we live and the pace with which things are changing at the moment. We've witnessed horrendous um, terrorist incidents, uh, a global recession. We're looking down the barrel of another recession. Mm. Um, I think we do live in deeply anxious times and it's surely only a natural reaction to want to live cautiously and in, in a way to try and ensure our own survival. I think we have to be mindful of those survivalist um, reflexes kicking in in the decisions we make and sometimes actually think fuck it i'm only here for 80 years or so anyway i'm just gonna do this hold the pen and write the story of your life oh i love that i'm wondering though you you're saying we're in, in uncertain times um i i i just i'm just wondering your your basic opinion on it because i i get the sense that we are on the cusp of a huge change. Like, I, I just, I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like something, we're hours away. You know how they say, you know how they call it the 11th hour, like at the very last moment. I feel like we're in the 11th hour before some kind of visceral change that's going to ripple across the world. I mean, I don't, and I don't, I don't say that just because I'm like, look at all this negativity. I, I feel that we are like, we're almost to that 12th hour. Like something is different and it's coming and I can feel it in the energy. Do you feel that way too? Or is that just like me being overly dramatic? <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And what else could a highly sensitive and perceptive person surmise? But that in a time where you've got Trump in the White House, I mean, that's got to be a, a sign of things going pretty wrong. I'm sorry to bring it back to politics again. I shouldn't do that because it's not my... Um, it's not my area of expertise at all. But you know what, though? You don't live here. You're not in America. You don't have to deal. I mean, well, I mean, I, I guess you do, but it's just like the fact that you have deduced that Trump, like, it, it's very clear. Like, people all over the world are like, that's different. 
I don't know why. I don't know how this man got here, but something is there's something energetic that's going on around the world that led to this man being here. And that's something that a lot of people in America are feeling. And then of course, so say I'm one of those people, I do feel that. And then of course the right is like, Well, you're just you just you know, you're playing politics. I'm like, I it's so much deeper than politics when it comes to Donald Trump this time. And I'm like I'm I'm far too close to the source to have any kind of objective opinion on it, but you're not. You just said it. Like there's some truth to that because you are you're not close to the source. You're not an American. Like I would be far too close. You know what I mean? It's just you're you said it. You said what is unspeakable in America because there's no way to speak on it objectively, but you you can. And so there you go. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> from Jake Myers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I do see things from a psychological angle for a lot of the time. I can't help it. It's one of the ways I look at the world. Um, and he, it's very <laughs> Well, I mean, I wish more people could see that he's the hallmark of a psychopath. Mm. You know, the egocentricity, the the way things revolve around him, his absolute insistence to be on the centre stage of everything, regardless of whether he's he knows anything about that or whether he's just rest, read a briefing document in three minutes, he's still prepared to put his uh, his voice on things, to, to tweet, to say things that are ridiculous, to change his mind all the time. He mm-hmm. has just a brazen disregard for other people's opinions, um, the truth. Well, and you know, I, something that I was talking about the other day that really, the one thing that probably scares me the very most about this whole situation is like, I don't know if you know the history well enough of American presidents, but back in the set mid seventies, Richard Nixon resigned. He was the only president ever to resign. And it's because he misused his position and he was forever seen as the worst president we've ever had until now, for sure. Like people like President Nixon is in his grave being like, thank God for Donald Trump. I'm not the worst. Um, but he resigned because what happened was basically he wanted to get reelected. So he hired men to break into the Democratic National offices to spy and steal documents and stuff. And it was a whole thing. They found out they were about to impeach him. So he saw the firing squad coming. And so he resigned. He was like, I can't, I'm resigning. I, you know, whatever. And that to me is a sign of the social contract. You cannot break the laws. You cannot just do whatever you want to do. There are consequences. And what's the scariest to me is Donald Trump has proven 100%. If you just keep going, there are no consequences. And I'm so worried that other people will be like, well, if Donald Trump can just do whatever he wants, so can I. You know, because you just keep talking. You just keep saying, this is true, this is true, this is true, regardless of if it's true or not. It's you, there's no consequences because um, John F. Kennedy, he made his brother attorney general and people had problems with that. And so people were like, no, there's anti-nepotism laws. You cannot put your family into your cabinet. Well, lo and behold, every member of his cabinet is a family member in 2020. And I'm like, well, we had laws and people are like, well, 
And I'm like, I guess the fact that he just did not give a damn that there was a law, he got away with it because he did not adhere to the social contract. And I'm afraid all over the world, people are going to be like, well, there's no consequences. And if there are, I'll find out, but you'll never know till you try. And so I'm going to try and then there won't be consequences. So that's, that's the one thing that's scariest to me. Just little moments like that where there are, you're, there are laws. Like he was also supposed to um, divest from all of his companies. He didn't do that. He's making money off of it. When dignitaries come to Washington, he puts them up in the Trump hotels. And they have their security. They have their staff. So he's making hordes of money off of this presidency, which is totally illegal. And because he he just said, whatever, sue me. And people are like, you know what? You're right. We'll, we'll back down. I'm like, well, you got no shame. The social contract does not apply to you. And I'm afraid that it might be a ripple effect that the social contract will not apply to a lot of people after this. I hope it is a mere ripple and not something wider because, you know, what kind of example of lawlessness does that set to the citizens of the US and the world? You know, how, how is a society meant to take shape and take responsibility if rules are there to be broken? Now, I say that as somebody who doesn't particularly like rules and, <laughs> you know, a high degree of social control. And I think it's... um. I think it's a great thing how 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 much you know freedom prevails in the US. Mm -hmm. You know that's great. More worrying though is not his disregard for the law, but his disregard for the truth. Mm -hmm. I think it's scarier because if the truth gets democratized and people can pick their own truth, then the underside of that is quite dark people can therefore say anything, believe anything, and will become so convinced of their right to their personal truth that they'll just keep getting entrenched further and further into their own vaults of opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we see sort of like that really deep ingrained um, prejudice. Yeah. From. Well, I, I just appreciate that that you are so willing to talk about your journey through through therapy and your journey through what you're dealing with and and all of that because I, I, I I'm an optimist at, at the heart. I do not love I don't like cynicism because I'm like cynicism is just a twenty dollar word for negativity in my opinion. You know, and it's just like, it's just, you're like, I'm you, cynicism. Anybody who's cynical, they say, well, I'm just being a realist. I'm like, no, you're being negative. And that you, you've got to hope for a better future if you really want to make a better future. And I'm just keep hoping for a better future. And I think that there are people out there who really want to find the fuel to just kind of light the spark that will start something better in their own life. Cause I mean, that's all you can do. You can only start with yourself and then learn that it pays that it behooves you to surround yourself with like-minded people who will also be positive and self care. And hopefully that will be the ripple effect and you might not change the world, but at least hopefully your ripples will be 
wide enough that you can't really be affected by people who are going to drag you down. And I just appreciate that. And I love that it doesn't have to be local because, like I said, you're one of the people I talk to more than anybody about self-care and just how much we are working for the better good for ourselves and our people and our tribe. So I appreciate you so much, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kyle. (laughs) Um, I'm really glad you dissected the word cynical there. And I'm sorry I always go on an academic bent on everything. No, I love that. People need to hear more of it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you actually dissected the word cynical because it's not the same as negative. Negative is a non-judgmental word um, with no agency. If things are negative, they're just negative. There's no there's no human judgment on that. But mm. cynical is the is the conviction that things are negative, that and that things are are the opposite of positive. It's a, it's a commitment to that belief, isn't it? Which mm. I which I don't share at all, like you. Um, I'm actually, according to my personality type, on the Myers Briggs indicator. Are you familiar with that? I am. ENFJ. Uh, INFP. Oh. Um, and one of the key key sort of descriptors of that personality type is an idealist. So it's often accompanied by a caricature of a kind of tree hugging, um, spiritual sort of. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But um, anyway, apparently I'm an idealist, uh, and that actually doesn't mean a dreamy person who's always optimist it means that your your values and your wishes are actually kind of in the foreground of your your cognitive process and being an idealist is is actually about confronting life's disappointments and things that you don't like and then thinking well how can i get nearer to this mm. vision so it actually keeps you quite sane because especially in a time like this where we all feel stuck, like we can't really propel things forward. It's actually quite useful to have this mindset where you think, well, what, how could I tweak things after lockdown? How am I, how can I ensure that this continues to feel like a journey rather than a period of stasis? Which is why I've been working on my uh, master's application to study psychotherapy. Oh, the world needs you to have your master's in psychotherapy. I'm just so I'm just sad that it would be a complete conflict of interest for you to ever analyze me. So I'll never get to reap those benefits, but I will send strangers your way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Your encouragement means a lot. And who knows? Who knows? I mean, maybe I could give therapy to people in LA. Yeah. Maybe I can with the way the world's changing. Why do things have to be local anymore? This is the last life in the bunker episode and i really think this was the perfect perfect way to end it just talking about the importance of self-care the importance of knowing yourself and and seeking those answers for yourself because if you're waiting on the world to change so that you can have a better situation in it you'll be waiting forever and i just i love that and i hope that you will I hope you've had enough fun on this first episode that you'll come back and we can talk even more in depth on the subject. I love talking to you, Carl. Definitely. It warms my heart. Um, But yeah, so I think that's about all the time we have. But at the end, I always 
invite people to share their handles on social media so that they can get followers and maybe people can keep up with you and see what you're doing. Do you want people to follow you on your social media? Yeah, people can follow me on Instagram. My handle is Jake Likes Hake. And that came about because I like rhymes and I really couldn't think of a better username. I love eating fish. I love seafood. So it's Jake Likes Hake. Oh, perfect. I love that. Uh, no Twitter, no anything like that for right now. I'm pretty much just an Instagram user at the moment. I think that provides all the social media uh, outlets that I need. For sure. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at Kyle L. Henderson and on Twitter at Kyle L. Henderson. And I would really, really love it if you would go to the Facebook page, Not For Nothing, and let me know what you thought of Jake because he's one of my dearest friends and I want you to fall in love with him too. I think it's time for me to go to bed and it's time for you to start your day because I see the sunshine and you're seeing my house at night for the first time. So we will continue our conversation later today in private, but thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Carl. And I'll talk to you soon. 